following is a recording of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions weekly coronavirus update recorded on June 15, 2020, featuring the Honorable Rodney Hood, Chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Everyone knows who uh, Rodney Hood is already, so not a lot of introduction. You, you may or may not recall that this is uh, Chairman Hood's uh, second uh, time on the board of the National Credit Administration. The first being, I think it was like around 2005 to 2009. I don't remember exact dates, but over that four-year period. Um, and then this current uh, time, starting in 2019, appointed as chair. And we're real honored to have him on the line with us today. And, and you know, I, when, when I was thinking and talking to um, the coordinator for you, Mr. Chairman, I couldn't help but think that, um, you know, when folks like you and Mike Pichek uh, accept the appointments that you do in these leadership kind of positions, it's too bad they don't tell you in advance that you're going to be dealing with things like a national pandemic, international pandemic uh, in advance uh, so that you can be a little bit more prepared for, for the magnitude of the job that you've had to do these recent months. Uh, but it certainly is a big one. You've been doing a great job, and we really appreciate you taking time out to be with us today. So thank you for that. Well, you are indeed welcome, all of you. Thank you for inviting me to join you. Uh, again, if I could have it my way, I would be there with you all in the Green Mountain State in person. But until that day comes, um, I still would like to take this opportunity uh, to update you on what the NCRA is doing to support credit unions and their member owners during this unprecedented and uncertain time in our nation's history. You all, I know many of you on the call have heard from me directly, and what you may not know is that every day I try to call three to five CEOs of credit unions around the United States to ask them how they're doing, how their family members are doing, and just to let them know that leader to leader that I am there for them. So I know I've reached out to some of you in Vermont, and if I've not gotten to you yet, give me time, I do have about 5,000 or so credit unions that we're overseeing. But again, I love reaching out to you all every single day that I can. And as I do a lot of those outreach calls, my fundamental message is this. The NCUA is open for business, and we will stay open for business for the duration of the pandemic emergency. Yes, we are working remotely. Yes, all 1,141 of us are working from our homes and, and getting things done. In fact, I have to tell you that not a single day goes by that we are not thinking about what can we do to better serve the credit union system. In the three months now that we've been working remotely, I want you to know that we've had a quite a voluminous body of work. We have issued over 38 items. That's 17 letters to credit unions. We've done uh, three regulatory alerts. We've done one risk alert. We've done three rulemakings. We've done four interim final rules and we've done nine interagency statements along with our peers from the FDIC, the OCC, uh, and the CFPB. So we are working on your behalf. Please know, though, that our top priority after ensuring the safety and well-being of our agency's workforce remains to ensure that the nation's credit unions can continue to respond to the financial needs of their member owners in this difficult and uncertain environment. We at NCUA will be there with you every step of the way to provide whatever guidance and resources you need to navigate this environment as effectively and nimbly as possible. Over the last several months, as I've mentioned earlier, I've had the pleasure of speaking with credit union leaders across the country to receive on-the-ground updates 
on how your families, your credit unions, employees, and member owners are faring amid the COVID-19 public health emergency. I have indeed been heartened by the many stories I've heard of credit unions going above and beyond the call of duty in providing quality, affordable financial services during this time, especially looking at opportunities to serve the member owners experiencing economic hardship due to the pandemic. I must say this, your efforts have been truly in the best tradition of people helping people that's guided the credit union industry for nearly a century. And I know for me, it was really touching to see that ethos written really live all over most of the walls that we saw at that credit union museum when many of us on the call were not too long ago there in New Hampshire. We at NCUA are taking every step to ensure that our agency's critical mission of protecting the safety and soundness of the credit union industry remains intact while also ensuring the well-being of the industry's member owners will continue to be executed as effectively and efficiently as possible. We at NCA will continue providing appropriate oversight as well as needed advice and support so that credit unions can maintain ongoing service to their members, especially in trying times like this, when those 120 million members of our credit union system need us now more than ever. Several weeks ago, as many of you all are aware, I testified before the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs, and the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Consumer Protection and Financial Institutions regarding the NCUA responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. I had the opportunity to discuss recent board actions to provide relief, swift implementation of CARES Act provisions related to the credit union industry, credit union participation in the SBA's Paycheck Protection Program, along with support for small, low-income, and minority credit unions. I also referenced several letters to credit unions the agency has issued concerning the changing economic climate, including a risk alert that I especially championed around cybersecurity in the age of COVID. These are just a handful of things that we have worked on in addition to changes to our examination and supervision program. I referenced those activities as well. My testimony also highlighted the agency's focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion through the newly formed Culture, Diversity, and Inclusion Council, along with support for minority depository institutions and recent changes to the low-income designation methodology to include military personnel when evaluating a federally insured credit union's low-income designation. Prior to my recent congressional, congressional hearings, I sent a letter to the Senate Banking Chairman Mike Crapo identifying statutory changes that would benefit credit unions and their member owners amid COVID-19. These recommended changes to the Central Liquidity Center, these recommended changes included items to the Central Liquidity Facility, current prompt corrective action framework, lending standards, and reasonable proximity requirements that will help improve liquidity, provide capital relief, enhance community lending opportunities, and increase access for remote financial services delivery for credit unions. And I think many of you in the state of Vermont would really like to see any of the relief that we can provide you regarding serving a lot of your member owners with your credit unions, meaning do we really need to have a branch for one of our multi-set credit unions to serve other members of an employee group? So we're looking at reasonable proximity, and you will be hearing more about that later. I've made it clear, ladies and gentlemen, that NCO examiners and staff stand ready to work with the credit unions we oversee to respond to these unusual and, frankly, quite difficult circumstances. 
If a credit union needs to make a policy adjustment to meet the needs of borrowers who are facing stress from the crisis, we at NCUA want to give you all the flexibility that you need. If a credit union deems it prudent to ease loan terms to help member owners through a difficult time, we at NCUA will try our best to work with you. The bottom line is that we at NCUA want your institutions to be able to respond nimbly to the needs of your members, your employees, and your local communities in the best way that you all know how. I've made it clear to my team that we will seek to communicate with clarity and precision and on a timely basis. The NCUA COVID-19 webpage, www.ncua.gov backslash coronavirus, includes all of the information related to the pandemic response we are providing credit unions. As new information is available, we'll update the frequently asked questions section along with other materials that we want to update regularly on our COVID-19 site. Likewise, I would like for the communication channel to work both ways. So ladies and gentlemen, I do look forward to hearing from you on this call. In a time of crisis, I clearly need unfiltered concerns or feedback so that we can respond effectively. You all can send your questions to COVID19questions at ncua.gov. That's COVID19questions at ncua.gov. Many of you are aware of the recent changes to the Central Liquidity Fund facility granted through the CARES Act. The NCUA board also took several actions to improve the CLF's flexibility and strength. These actions included eliminating the six-month waiting period for a new CLF member to receive a loan and easing the period for how long a member must wait to receive back their paid-in capital if they choose to terminate their CLF membership. I am pleased to report that all 11 corporate credit unions have joined the CLF as agent members. As agent members, the corporate credit unions have purchased the CLF capital stock for their member credit unions with assets less than $250 million. Because of this, more than 3,700 credit unions are now eligible to apply for a loan from the CLF, and it has increased the CLF's borrowing capacity by over $13 billion. And what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is that before Congress passed the CARES Act and before the President signed it, we at NCUA had a CLF uh, uh, program or a fund of about $10 billion. Once we were able to get the CARES Act provisions, I, along with my fellow board members, have been working with not only the corporate credit unions, but some of our larger credit unions who perhaps already have access to the Federal Reserve discount window and the Federal Home Loan Bank. We've worked with them to get them to all join. So that means that over the past few weeks, we have raised an additional $3 billion for our CLF. The CLF, a mixed ownership government corporation that serves as a form of liquidity insurance for credit unions, can borrow from the U.S. Treasury and use those funds to make loans to member credit unions and the National Credit Union Share Insurance Fund. This borrowing power was an essential element in helping the credit union system work through the last financial crisis. Liquidity, like capital, is a pillar of strength upon which the safety and soundness of the credit union system rests. While we hope for the best outcome to the current emergency, we need to prepare for the possibility that the CLF will once again prove vital in addressing the liquidity needs for credit unions and the share insurance fund. We know from our experience with the last financial crisis that addressing liquidity needs aggressively reduces the corresponding threat to capital adequacy. 
The NCUA has also allotted $4 million in loans and $1.375 million in grants available for federally insured low-income designated credit unions to support their members and local communities during this time. We've also recently announced $125,000 in mentoring grants available to help minority depository institutions. In addition to the CLF flexibility, the CARES Act also allows credit unions to provide guaranteed loans to businesses and self-employed individuals through the U.S. Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. This would permit credit unions to assist members with payroll, benefits, and other eligible expenses. Just a week ago, I had the privilege of speaking with a credit union that was able to provide a PPP loan to a small minority barbershop in the amount of $4,000 in rural Alabama. Similarly, in Mississippi, another credit union was able to provide a historically black college with its first PPP loan because none of the other banks in that state would provide that university with a loan. They were too busy going after some of the other entities that they neglected that local financial institution. So I'm just proud to know that a lot of our credit unions like yours and the call are participating in the PPP program. While the pandemic emergency and the attended economic fallout has generated significant uncertainty, we can be confident that NCUA has the tools to respond effectively. Taking carefully considered actions now to keep the financial system functioning properly would pay dividends in helping us to get past the present emergency and move the economy toward recovery a process we all hope can begin sooner rather than later. As mentioned, the last time I was at the NCUA's vice chairman, we were facing a global economic crisis and the most significant recession our nation had faced in decades. I think all of us who were around back then can recall the uncertainty with which we were dealing, and we had very little sense of what we might expect for the credit union industry, not to mention for the U.S. economy as a whole. As an astonishing testament to the resiliency of the American economy and the American worker and the American spirit of entrepreneurship, the credit union system came back stronger than ever. It is in times of trial like these that we can best understand that the words of people helping people are more than a slogan. They represent a strong commitment to your member owners, your local communities, a commitment that we all in this call, I think, strive to honor each and every day. So with that being said, all of you in Vermont, all of you in the Green Mountain State, I want to thank you for having me and do know that we are fighting every day on your behalf to keep our credit union system safe and sound and to also make sure that we have the infrastructure in place to really prepare us all to respond to the COVID-19 recovery efforts. So with that being said, I want to say thank you. Uh, may God bless you and your families, and I certainly pray that you all stay healthy and well. So thank you, and I do have time for a few questions, if you'd like. I was going to ask that. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mr. Chairman, and I was hoping that you had time to take a, a few questions from us. Um, yeah, I've got a, a few things, notes that I made to myself, but I'd rather just open the floor and have any of our people that actually run Vermont credit unions uh, make comment or ask questions at this time. And also, maybe if I could add, maybe make a comment or two. Tomorrow, you all, I will be having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Senator Mike Crapo from Chairman. Uh, he's the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee. He wants to talk to me specifically about small business lending and the credit union system around the PPP loan participation. 
So I want to talk to him about some best practices, some things that we've been observing. And then also you all, I'm going to be off, uh, speaking with him about raising the MBL cap during the pandemic and the recovery, or perhaps even seeking to eliminate the MBL cap. So as you all who are either thinking of questions, would love to get any of your comments regarding PPP that you may want me to share with uh, the Senator, um, Senator Crapo tomorrow. That would be really timely and helpful. Awesome. Anybody have any thoughts about either of those or anything else? I don't know if this, uh, Joe, this is John. I don't know if anybody else wants to go, but let me, this, hi, Chairman Hood, this is John Dwyer. I'm, I'm New England Federal Credit Union here in Williston, Vermont. I, and I would uh, give you the, you know, the feedback that uh, currently we are seeing uh, actually an increase in M MBL requests. Uh, we actually have seen uh, and experienced uh, some requests from new borrowers, uh, borrowers that previously went to uh, the regional banks uh, and situations where uh, they were told that uh, those regional banks were too busy uh, for those borrowers, whether those that be a PPP request a couple, uh, six weeks ago, or even new loan requests now for uh, development and commercial development opportunities. So um, there are situations where credit unions are being asked to fill a void by, and I think that the MBL cap is certainly one of the considerations for us that we always live within, uh, but there is a growing need for that cap to uh, be expanded or eliminated at this point. Well, I could agree with you more. As a former commercial lender myself, I recognize the important role that capital plays with our small businesses. And the fact that credit unions have that ability, they have the, the infrastructure, the desire, and the capital levels to do so. And I don't regret that they've been capped at this 12.25%. So as you know, I did ask for it to be raised to 20 uh, in the CARES Act, but now I think the time is to just see if we can seek for its removal or at least to have it removed during the pandemic and the aftermath. So thank you for making that comment. I also wanted to let you know that you all, I continue to be an advocate for us in the credit union system, working with other government entities. To that end, I, as you know, within my first month on the job, I signed an MOU uh, with the SBA administration so that we could have credit unions really gainfully using the USD, I mean, the using the SBA 7A loan guarantees I'm also working now with USDA, and I know Vermont has a lot of rural communities, so how do we better leverage the USDA rural loan program? You know, they're providing guarantees. Similarly, I've met with Farm Credit. Uh, we're looking at doing a, a, a partnership with them. And then most recently, ladies and gentlemen, uh, last Wednesday, I signed an MOU with the Export-Import Bank, where they are providing letters of credit and other financing tools for any of your small business owners within the credit unions that are exporting their goods and products, those loans, I found out, are not counted a part of the 12.25% cap. So the Export-Import Bank loans and also any SBA or USDA loan guarantee, that insured portion of often 80% loan to value does not count against the guarantee. So that's another reason why I'm such a champion for some of these other guarantee programs while we still have to deal with uh, the, the cap. Thank you. Other, and another thing while you guys are thinking of your questions, if I could just add another thing, you all, and 
I was really I was delighted when SBA, along with Treasury's imprimatur, they gave the smaller institutions, you know, that window where they had like eight hours. So I think it was all of those institutions of a billion and under were able to get a lot of their uh, PPP loans done. In fact, there was one credit union, uh, that credit union that I referenced in Mississippi, they were able to get a thousand loans through the door because of that window when our small institutions weren't having to compete with the lacks of JP Morgan and uh, Citi and Bank of America who had just legions of people. These were credit unions. When you gave them an opportunity to have unfettered access, uh, they certainly leveraged it. So when I talk to the senator tomorrow, I'm going to ask if there could be perhaps some other opportunities such as that. Uh, to have days or hours devoted to the smaller institutions. Thank you for that. Uh, other questions, comments, folks? Got to be something. It's your opportunity here. Hi, this is Jean Geyer from Vermont Federal Credit Union. Um, thank you for speaking to us today, Chairman Hood. Um, we appreciate your comments. Uh, I just wanted to support uh, John Dwyer from New England in um, finding a way to uh, raise the cap. Um, there's a definite, definite need um, from our business members. Um, often the loans that the larger institutions don't want to um, touch are sent our way um, from the point of not being large enough. So. There is a need, and I would hope that you could either eliminate or raise that cap. Well, I Thank will you. certainly be advocating for that tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And again, I look forward to visiting your credit union perhaps as well. But I do look forward to uh, having that conversation with the senator tomorrow, and I will talk about the cap uh, and also seeking its removal. Um, another piece, you all, that's very top of mind uh, while I have you all is Cecil. As you know, I did write a letter uh, to FASB regarding having credit unions be exempt from CECL. So I know we have it delayed until uh, 2023, but I am still using a lot of my resources and reaching out to the appropriate folks. In fact, that will be something for me to mention to the senator as well, because I recognize that could have a really bad impact on our credit union. So CECL and its implementation is something that I really, I just hope that we can get it, uh, get credit unions exempt from it. I think CISO does make sense in the, uh, the lens for some of the other larger institutions, many of whom that I've worked with in the past, but it doesn't at all relate to our credit unions. In fact, I think, if anything, CISO was nothing more than a solution in search of a problem. Um, Chairman Hood, this is Bob Morgan from North Country Federal Credit Union. One, thank you for that, and one other area in your comments tomorrow that I'd ask that you um, reflect is I believe Senator Crapo has gone on record um, as being supportive with the PPP program of creating a dollar threshold to which forgiveness would be automatic. I've seen $150,000 thrown out there. I don't know the specific dollar amount, but um, I think all of us credit unions would agree and we certainly have focused on the smaller dollar PPP loans that if that administrative burden can be reduced at some dollar threshold, um, that would greatly benefit our members who are trying to now bring their businesses out of survival into recovery mode and would make our jobs easier as we kind of work with them to go forward and, and build economic opportunities versus just 
doing paperwork. You know, I hear you, and that's a concern that I share as well, so I'll be happy to mention that. You all, every Thursday at noon, I meet with my peers from the FDIC, the OCC, CFPB, and Treasury, where we talk about a number of COVID-19 issues, and the one recurring agenda item is PPP, and we were basically talking just the other day about the 15 pages for the loan forgiveness. It's a bit much for our institutions. And I'm pleased to report that they've been able to narrow it down to 11, but we still are hoping that they can continue to narrow it down even more so. Um, one of the things about that Form 1502 that I'm sure many of you have seen, it does uh, need to be filled out so you all can get your uh, loan origination fees. So that is one of the things that we've been talking about. I know Treasury is really keen on you all getting paid. So anyone who's processed a PPP loan, we're making sure that you all get your uh, funds uh, to you uh, as soon as possible. But I will certainly mention the thing about the paperwork, and I, like you, agree that there needs to be some threshold. Uh, I had some credit unions in rural, I want to say Alabama, that did some PPP loans as little as $500, and until that form is revamped, it's either going to be 15 pages or 11 pages, but that's a mighty lot of paperwork for a $500 loan, which is that was the only, um, that was all that the borrower needed. So uh, the credit union would ask them if they wanted more, and they said no. They wanted to save some for the next borrower. So again, it just shows you uh, the spirit of people helping people. I think we may have time for one or two more questions, if that's all right. Sure. Excellent. Somebody else? Mr. Well, Chairman, this is, this, sorry, this is John, John, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to chime in with some information for about PPP. Um, this is John Cody. I work I work for Joe, and for about two months now, we've been conducting a survey. The credit unions have been sharing with us all the information about um, the variety of things that they're doing for for credit union members. And I just had some information on the PPP loans that Vermont credit unions have done. Only six credit unions are participating in in that, but. Um, in two months, they've done more than 1,300 loans for a total of about $51.4 million, or an average of about $39,000 per loan. Um, so there's That's some great that you can take to uh, to Mr. Crapo tomorrow and, and use, and that's right up to date. I certainly will share that with them. And any idea how many jobs were saved out of curiosity? Just so I can throw that figure in there as well. Well, we didn't track that, but I bet some CEOs can maybe speak to that, or I hope. If so, but if not, you've given me like the major parameters. And again, I just want to let them know that our credit unions are serving this market well. As you, I also want you to know when Secretary Carranza was meeting with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, she also singled out credit unions and thanked them for the work that they're doing. Uh, so you all, the work that our system is putting forth with helping stimulate the economy is not being overlooked. So I, I'm just glad to know that you guys are all playing a, a key role in it. I really do appreciate it. And I do think there will likely be another stimulus package. So whatever we can do for carve-outs, maybe for the credit unions, I do know that there's been a push to get our community development financial institutions, the CDFI-designated institutions, whether they be banks or credit unions. But I'm hoping that, again, anything that can be done to help the smaller institutions have access. Because what we've shown is that credit unions, if we can get through the portal, then they're willing to perform. Hey, Joe, I, I might just say a Please. word to Chairman Hood and just to sort of give you some context of the Vermont credit unions. You know, I, 
on the ground here, I'm very proud of our of our financial institutions and our credit unions for the work that they've put in over the last three months, not just on the PPP, but working with their members on um, deferring loans, you know, saving people's homes, saving people's cars, saving people's, you know, futures in many ways. And, um, you know, I know, I'm sure all the CEOs and everyone on the phone can go into great detail about not just how hard they're working, but how hard they're staffs are working long hours weekends and the like to really make sure people um are the the economic impact is mitigated to the greatest degree that it can for folks as we ride through this health crisis so uh, i'm sure this story can be replicated across the country in every state but um these uh, these credit unions and their and their staffs are, are working um tremendous hours and doing great work for the people of vermont and um also, Chairman Hood, based on your, your track record here, I don't know if any future president is going to appoint you to the NCUA based on the global crisis and the global pandemic. Oh, my goodness. Crisis. <laughs> well, well, did you see if I'm, you should ask if I'm going to be reappointed? <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I have a five-year term, so you're not done with me that easily. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I think I, I'm going to be with you, I think, at least the last I saw through 2025. So, but you raise a good point. If you've not seen today's news, Mr. Kyle Hopman has been nominated as of today. The White House just announced this. He's been nominated to the NCRA board. He will be filling the spot um, of board member McWaters, whose term expired last August of 2019. So Kyle Hopman. He currently is a senior staffer for Senator Cotton uh, on Senate banking. So he knows Senate banking. Uh, he's also had a stint uh, serving on a small business advisory committee as a voting member for the Securities and Exchange Commission. He also has some days that he spent in finance with the Jeffries Company and um, one of some other Wall Street companies. So he brings public policy and financial services experience. So, so yes, but no, but, but I will be there for a few more years, in fact, if I may, for a quick second, I'd like for you all to know that we have been asking you all to do a number of things around helping your borrowers and your member owners during this time of uncertainty. And one of the things that I tell my peers from the other entities, CFPB and OCC and Federal Reserve and FDIC, to name just a few, I tell them that you all in the credit unions don't just sit there waiting for me to tell you to do the right thing. You do it on your own accord. So whether I sent out a letter telling you to do troubled debt restructuring or interest rate reductions, you guys do it on your own because it's in your DNA. And I want you to know I appreciate it. But going to the fact that we are at the agency encouraging to take some really um, key steps in helping your members, I want you to know that we're not going to have amnesia. I'm very mindful of that. I do recognize that many of you may or feel that, yes, they're telling us to do that today, but what happens next year when we're doing our exam is the NCRA examiner going to have amnesia? And my answer to that is a resounding no. And again, that's because I will be there for another five years that I'm going to make sure that people realize that we encourage you to do these things. Uh, and want to make sure that we don't give you all, as we've said in some of our statements, we certainly don't want to give you any demerits because you helped your borrowers uh, during the time of the pandemic. One of the things I think I would be remiss if I didn't say, heading into the headwinds of the pandemic, we came in with over 11.47% capital, came in with very, very strong liquidity. And I think that's going to really help us. Uh, we have that CLF tool that's going to be even further bolstered. So as I mentioned, we do have the tools to deal with the crisis at hand. 
Uh, but I just wanted you to know that my talks with the, all the examiners have been to encourage them to not hold any of your actions against you in future exams, because you guys are prudent and pragmatic, but we also want you to help. Thank you for that, Mr. Chairman. And the question I was going to ask you, if you, ha if you have time for one last kind of philosophical one, and so there's no, no right or wrong answer, is, you know, what you were just referencing kind of ties into this, you know, down the road, when everyone is dealing with the hearing now, right now, and the future is, you know, as unpredictable as it could possibly be. Um, but, you know, down the road, when all the the PPP loans and those kinds of things are behind us and the stimulus checks are behind consumers and so on and so forth sometime in, let's say it's 2021 someplace, you know, what are your biggest concerns for financial services or credit unions specifically? Uh, you know, what are the challenges you think that, you know, NCUA is going to be facing along with state regulators and with credit unions, you know, down, down the road? Is it going to be a bigger financial uh, challenge in the aftermath than it is now, you think? You know, that's a really good question. But first, before I answer that, I just want to acknowledge the support that I have for our state chartered credit unions. We certainly enjoy having you and working with you to provide federal insurance. And I still want to thank Mike Pichiak for the work he does there on your behalf every day in Vermont. I serve as the vice chairman of FIFIAC, uh, the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council. Uh, and I'll be scheduled to become chairman of that in the next few months. And I work every day with our state regulators, along with, of course, the, the representatives from the FIREA agencies in D.C. So I just want you all to know that at the end of the day, I certainly enjoy working with our partners from the states. So, Michael, I look forward to us spending some time. I hope that when I assume the role of chairman of FIFIAC, who knows, perhaps you will be one of those SSA voting members. I don't quite know the process yet, but I know from what little I can tell from having met you in a few times already that you would be a great addition to a lot of the efforts that we're doing. So I certainly believe in working with NASCAS and CSBS. And as I look at the landscape, you all have our 120 million credit union members. At the end of the day, they don't know often whether they are a federal credit union or state charter, but at the end of the day, they just want access to their funds. So that's why I want the work that I do with the SSAs to be as seamless as possible. At the end of the day, we're working for the good of the system and the good of those members who rely on us each and every day. With the question about what are some of the, the challenges on the horizon, well, first and foremost, I think this crisis is a little different from the Great Recession that we experienced when I was at the agency over a decade ago, and that is the liquidity levels were not what they were today. Uh, the capital levels were not there, and it was just a seismic shift. The issues that we're dealing with today, you all, while we're seeing some, some, some strain, I would say, on balance sheets, we're seeing some strain, uh, of course, in some of our individuals, the institutions going into this are very strong. Uh, when I talk to the FDIC and OCC, I mean, we all have gone into it with very, very robust capital levels. I mean, 11% for us versus the 7% statutory requirement. Uh, liquidity, I think, was close to $200 billion. When I look at $200 billion in liquidity that credit unions have today in actual cash and short-term investments, and that's not counting the access to the Federal Reserve and Federal Home Loan Bank uh, for additional liquidity. So the challenges I have, of course, I think we have the tools to withstand anything that comes our way. Of course, we're going to be mindful of just 
how do we keep the system uh, safe? Um, I think there may be consolidation that I'm going to make sure that we keep our credit units, I mean, that are small. I think one of the things that keeps me up is the concern that our smaller institutions may, and they already had some strain just because of compliance costs and other things, which is why my regulatory philosophy has and will remain, regulation needs to be effective and not excessive. So I want to make sure that we're providing a lot of additional support for those small credit unions, whether they be low-income designated, CDFI, or minority depositories, or just, again, we want them to succeed. Challenges that I see that really extend even, one of the things that I would have answered that question before COVID, I would tell you that what keeps up at night is uh, cybersecurity. I think that that is a really big issue, which is why I asked my cybersecurity advisor, whose name is Johnny Davis, to do a risk alert when I recognize that we have so many credit unions, like many of you on this call, I bet many of you had a lot of your senior people, people working from home, and I bet many of you have had some employees who had never worked from home before, which means they probably were using their personal family laptop as opposed to uh, a credit union issue one because many of the smaller credit unions quite hadn't made that investment. So I want us to make sure that cybersecurity is being addressed appropriately. So I asked them to do the risk alert. What is effective cyber hygiene and things of that nature? So that is an issue that I think is going to remain top of mind. Similarly, I think BSA and AML, I think to make sure that we have a really effective Bank Secrecy Act play, plan in place, along with looking at anti-money laundering, but not being so to the point where you guys are so distracted with that that you can't do other things. So I am on a BSA task force where we're looking at how do we streamline the reporting process, how for some of our large institutions do we aggregate the data and maybe use some form of artificial intelligence uh, to help with uh, BSA AML. So that's another area that I would say is a big issue. I think another issue that I want to continue to look at addressing, and that is HEMP and providing credit unions with the tools that they need to work with those legitimate hemp businesses. I know that Vermont does have some places there that are working with this business line, and I would love to go there and do a listening session because we were one of the first government agencies to issue hemp guidance. Um, and now we want to make sure that we are giving you all the tools so there will be some additional guidance coming forth soon now that the USDA has found, signed their Farm Bill Act. So I would love to get some of those things back on the docket again around the hemp guidance and helping your members there who are engaged in that legitimate business. So those are just a few of the things. If I'm saying anything, it's about thinking long-term, thinking about BSA, AML, um, cyber, and then if there's one piece as well, and I'll conclude with this, a little over 35% of my senior workforce at NCUA is eligible to retire in the next 18 months. So I'm having to also look as chairman and looking at, okay, how do we fill those vacancies? How do we retract, attract talent, not just to fill that role today, but being mindful of future roles within the industry, meaning uh, the next general counsel may need to be a brilliant lawyer, but also who knows hemp, who also knows cybersecurity, who knows some of those types of things. So I'm now trying to build a framework around the things that you all as leaders think about every day, and that's succession planning. But again, not recruiting for today's success, but what does it look like for tomorrow? So those are some of the things that are on my horizon uh, that I'm thinking about. Um, so it's a good question that you raised, and I hope I didn't sort of filibuster, but I did. I just want you to know that there are a number of things that we still need to think about in addition to COVID. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Sorry to put you on the spot with uh, that oh, no. future thinking. 
any other comments from anybody? Well, if not, I want to thank you, Mr. Chairman, for being on the line with us. We know, again, like I said at the onset, that this is an extremely busy time for you, and you're probably shouldering a lot of responsibilities right now uh, that you weren't anticipating when you were appointed to the chair, uh, but you're doing uh, a great job for Vermont credit unions and the nation's credit unions, and I really appreciate it. And we appreciate you taking time. Well, I appreciate well, you're indeed welcome. I just want to say thank you. And again, um, yes, it's a little unprecedented. It's not quite what I knew. Well, you know what? We, we all as leaders, we never know what's going to come our way. Uh, but the thing is, we're resilient, we're agile, we respond, and we do it with humility. So I just am happy to have people like all of you who really are working every day on behalf of your member owners. So I applaud you. And again, it's my goal is to give you the regulatory framework that you need to succeed and not have a lot of regulatory compliance costs and burdens that you're having to comply with me on. Of course, I still want guardrails. I'm not in all saying that, but again, it's just been such a blessing to work with such gifted and talented folks. I hope that when you all are traveling again, either you will come to my office when we do the GAC or I will be there. And again, would love to do a similar convening in person, maybe with me and um, Mr. Pachit. We will. Well, so thank, thank you, you all and stay, stay healthy, everyone. And goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. I have just uh, one or two very small things for everyone. Um, and while I happen to be glancing at you, Mr. Pichek, on the line, you re it reminds me that uh, in the governor's uh, press conference today, he extended the, uh, and everybody knows this by now, probably extended the emergency, state of emergency order uh, to July 15th. Um, so is there anything from, from your seat, from financial services, that, uh, that is worth mention along with that, or is everything pretty much just the same as it's been recently and we'll keep plodding along. Yeah, I think that's right, Joe. I mean, um, you know, the, the extension of the state of emergency, there's so many things that are tied to that federal dollars and, and uh, you know, every agency and state government has taken certain action that says X will last as long as the state of emergency is in effect. And right. so there's, there was just, there's just so much that I think is built up on that state of emergency that I assume it will be with us for some time, you know, even past, July 15th. Sure. Um, so I think everything is proceeding, you know, as it has been. The good news from today's press conference, we only had one um, confirmed positive today. I think yesterday we had two confirmed positives. Um, there were, at least they were announced today. Um, there was similarly, you know, well over a thousand tests that were conducted both today and yesterday. So it's not like the testing went down to account for um, that reduction in numbers. So Dr. Levine has said he's cautiously optimistic about um, what that means as it relates to the Winooski and Burlington uh, community outbreak. But, you know, fingers crossed, we'll get through that. And, um, you know, we'll continue along as we have on the health side. I think on the economic side, there are a lot of people that had certain deferments that were for three months and even six months, regardless. Those, those are, those, that time period, which seemed like a long time in March and April, you know, is coming fast upon us. And I know, I know there are a lot of questions out there about what happens when, when, um, you know, that sort of that flexibility runs out. Um, so we're all ears on that front, but I think that's something that we're, that's not from a financial services standpoint, that's something I think that I'm particularly interested in over the next uh, couple of weeks. Do you have any feel for, um, 
the progress uh, in the, I was going to say in the state house, nobody's in the state, in the virtual state house. Virtual state house. It's right, like this. Uh, right. Uh, on all the, the governor's economic proposal and all of the add-on proposals and, you know, do you, ha do you sense, I know there's forward movement, but do you sense uh, people come into agreement very soon or is this going to drag on for a while, you think? So I think they're, you know, I think the first step will get here pretty quickly, but the first step for what the governor wanted and what the legislature is going to produce, I think, aren't necessarily um, close together. You know, I think right. the governor wanted more money out the door more quickly and legislature wants to take some more time. And I think the ultimate, the ultimate rub there is whether there's going to be additional federal stimulus money. Um, I think the legislature's perspective is that they want to hold back some money in the event they have to cover a significant budget gap next year. I think if I were to articulate the governor's position, he his position is let's get the money to Vermont businesses now because if we don't do it now, even if you even if you use the money to cover the gap in the next fiscal year, there are gonna be so many businesses that are closed that they're gonna have sort of these continuous deficits year over year into the future. So I think that's sort of their their different views on the money and why it needs to be spent where it needs to be spent and under what time frame it needs to be spent under um so my guess is they'll they'll slowly reach more agreement on that i think even i think even with what was proposed initially from the governor and accd there were still businesses that said this isn't an, this isn't enough for us and and right. i think everyone understands that and hears that um so it's 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 not a magic bullet. I mean, it, you know, 300 million, 400 million sounds like a lot, but as all you know, once you once you spread it out to all the businesses that are in need, it doesn't unfortunately go as far as we, we all want it to. So 70 million, 90 million, whatever the first bit that comes out is obviously won't even cover what, you know, what the what the what the 400 million was hopefully going to cover. So sure. there's still, I think, short term that should be done. It sounds like soon, but long term, there's definitely a lot more work to try to figure out how to help and support from our businesses. Right. Hey, any questions from anyone or comments from anyone for Commissioner Pichek while we are fortunate to have him on the line with us? This is regulator day, by the way, that we have here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hearing none, uh, we'll have a uh, Another update going out this evening with a few updates and a few things, but uh, this is uh, the sum total of what I had for you for this conference call. So uh, thank you for joining us. Unless anybody's got anything else to throw, share with the group, um, we'll let you all go on. What In Williston, Vermont, it's a sunny afternoon and the start of what appears to be a very nice week weather-wise, I hope. So I hope you all have a great rest of your afternoon and a great week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much.